more than that. But let's pray. We'll pray for the word, and we want to pray for the Winterson family as well. Lord, we come humbly before you, and we thank you, Lord, that you're a sovereign God, and you're in control. You're not surprised by the trials and difficulties that we come through in our lives. But Lord, we're thankful for your promises, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Lord, I just lift up Craig and Laurel to you, and I just pray you are the God of all comfort. And I pray for others here who've recently had those that they loved that have passed away, and we pray for their comfort as well. And Lord, we know we can't do this unless we have an eternal focus. So we pray that you would surround those who are hurting, specifically Craig and Laurel, with the, with the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Part your spirit upon them. Help them in the midst of their grief. And Lord, we pray as we, also, we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So as we know from 1 Peter so far, what we've been looking at is a letter written by the apostle Peter to the early church who was dealing with great persecution, great trials, great difficulty for standing up for the truth, for proclaiming the truth of the gospel. They had become arch enemies of the Roman government, specifically Caesar, Nero. Uh, this is the time when Christians are being fed to lions. It's a very difficult time to be a Christian. And many were starting to pull back because they allowed fear to overcome their faith. And so as he's writing this letter to them, he is encouraging them and reminding them, again, about the eternal significance, about focusing on the Lord, about recognizing that God is still in control and God is still faithful. I love how the Lord will minister to us right on time. And what's interesting is my wife uh, yesterday found a, a box that had been stowed away of letters from my son, Mark, that he had written to, to us when he was away in Maine some 10 years ago. And as I was reading through them, something was so special because God just does this. Because one of the things that Peter told them when they were suffering, he said, this is for but a little while. And so it's for but a little while, whatever that suffering is. And sometimes it seems like it's permanent because your son dies. And you think, well, it's, it's for more than a little while, but it is for but a little while compared to eternity. Amen? And what's interesting is that Mark wrote to me, and as I was reading the letter, he said, Dad, I figured out what my three favorite books of the Bible are. He goes, I love the, I love the, I love the proverb. I love so many books of the Bible. My three favorite books of the Bible, I've been reading them over and over and over again, is James and 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And he said, and these are the verses got, so, you know, my son went to heaven on Friday and we started teaching James on Sunday. And we've been teaching through it. And he said, the verse that's ministering to the most is this is for but a little while. And I've been saying that repeatedly since he went to heaven. And he was talking about his own struggles. But guys, whatever we are going through, what Peter was telling that early church was, look, yes, you're going through trials. You're going through persecution. And this is something that's really struck me. I think we need to quit worrying about the what ifs and start focusing on what is. Well, what if the pandemic comes back? Well, what if we go into a world war? Well, what if this happens? What if I lose my job? What if this happens? You know, anything that's a what if is in the hands of God. And here's what we know. What is, is that Almighty God is on the throne and that he is faithful and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment on heaven. And guys, the worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us because we're going to heaven. Amen? 
And too often we so focus on the what ifs. And they were worried, well, if I go out and share, they, I might end up in the jail. They might feed me to lions. Those things could happen. And for you and I in our walk with the Lord, we can be so concerned with the what ifs that we forget about what is. So if you have your outline, grab it. And tell the message, it's time to live like a Christian. As, as Peter is writing this to the early church, he's exhorting them when they're wanting to pull back, when they're wanting to fade away, when they're wanting to p- potentially go into hiding, because they know maybe if I dumb down the message, I won't face so much persecution. And he's been exhorting them all the way through to remain faithful. This morning, there's six points here. If we get through all of them, it's time to live like a Christian. First, by having the mind of Christ, an eternal perspective, having a knowledge that suffering is coming, but not being moved by it. They knew that suffering was coming, but the point was not to allow that to keep them from doing what God had called them to do. And the same can happen for us where we can allow our our comfort to be more important to us than being faithful and obedient to what God has called us to do. That temporary suffering is nothing compared to glory which is to come. Number two, it's time to live like a Christian, to stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. Amen? Stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. Your flesh will never be satisfied. The world will never give you what your heart longs for because it can only come from the Lord. I wrote here, it's a profound and foolish waste of time for Christians to live like the world. God has called us. God has given us his word. He gives us direction, not just for a holy life, but a life that a life is more abundant. Amen? He wants to bless us, and the word of God is not, again, a a fence to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. God knows what's best for us. Number three, to live every day in light of the judgment to come. Here's what I wrote underneath that. Walk with God, you'll be judged by the world. Walk with the world, you'll be judged by God. Choose one. Amen? Walk with God, you will be judged by the world. Walk with the world, you will be judged by God. Choose today whom you're going to serve. Amen? Let's honor the Lord. To be a person of prayer. You know, we need to live a life of urgency and expectation. Because when we do, it keeps us on our knees. Do you know that the Lord could come back today? What's the answer? He could. So we want to live every day in light of his potentially soon return. We don't know the day or the hour. Nobody does. But the apostles 2,000 years ago lived that way. We're 2,000 years closer. We should live more that way. And when we live with that sense of urgency, when we have that, that expectation of Christ's soon return, it should drive us to our knees. Pray without ceasing, but this is the will of God. We don't necessarily have tomorrow to share our faith with that unsaved family member. We don't necessarily have more time to use the gifts God's given us. Let's be faithful with them today. Let's be people of prayer. Number five, to have a fervent love for one another. The greatest commandment when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or a six-word abbreviation of that is love God and love people. And it doesn't say love some people. It doesn't say love people you like. It's love people. For God so loved what? The, The world. And that's everybody. Amen? And so we're to love God and love people. And I would say this, I've said this to you before, I have to question your love for God if you don't love people. Amen? It's fruit of loving God. And then finally, to be a good steward of the gifts God's given you. Do what the Lord created you to do. 
Have you ever thought about that? God created you, and God has gifted you, and there's something God is calling you to do. Should we be doing that? See, whatever that is, and sometimes we don't know what that is, but I want to tell you something. It's not you don't know because God's hiding it from you. It's because you're not really seeking to, to know from him what he's calling you to do. Amen? And a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. When I was a youth pastor, God gave me such a burden for teenagers that I, I would lose sleep at night, concerned about them. I would be driving between sales calls, and I'd see a group of teenagers. I'd get out and talk to them about the Lord. It was a burden that God had put in my heart for those people. And I want to encourage you, when you see something, there's a need, and you recognize it, it may that that's God giving you a burden. So get out of your comfort zone. And again, a burden is a spawning gun of a calling. So let's begin there in 1 Peter Chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1, looking at it's time to live like a Christian. First, by having the mind of Christ. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When he says, therefore, he's going back. You say, when you see therefore, you ask what it's there for. It goes back, ties back to verse 18. Let's read it of the previous chapter. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive by the Spirit. So Jesus died once and for all and paid the price for all of us, the just dying for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We talked about this last week. You know, there's a bridge between God and man, and the bridge is, the valley, the gorge there is sin. And the only bridge that can bring sinful man to holy God is, this, is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Amen? Good works won't get you there. Uh, going to church won't get you there. Being a good person. By the way, there aren't any good people, so get over yourself. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Amen. We can be good compared to men, but we all fall short compared to God. Amen. So he brought us. He restored us. He brought us into relationship because he died and was willing to suffer for us. So in light of what the Lord has done for us, in light of who we are in Christ, let's read that verse again, verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. We must not expect the world to treat us better than they treated Jesus but they do treat us better than they treated Jesus. But we should not expect that. If we are Christians and followers of Christ, we should, be, we should not be surprised when the world treats us like we're followers of Christ. You hear me say all the time, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. We need to pray for them, amen? But we also shouldn't be surprised when an ungodly world persecutes Christians because you, what you need to recognize is you are a halogen light walking into a dark room and that bugs people. <laughs> Amen? Walk into a bar sometime with a halogen light and see what kind of response you get. See, guys, we are the light of the world. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? And because we are... We should not expect that we will not suffer for the cause of Christ. See, he's telling this to people who might be fed to lions. We're not quite in that category. But he's telling them, Christ suffered. Don't, don't be surprised that you might suffer too. But we need to hear that same message. They're going to treat Jesus in us any better than they treated him when he came in the flesh in his 33 years on earth. 
It says, arm yourselves. The same care a soldier would take in preparing for battle. You know, how do we arm ourselves? We put on the whole armor of God. How do we arm ourselves? We spend time on our knees. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in the presence of the Lord. We walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Without the powering work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot live for the Lord in the midst of a lost and a dying world. You can't do it by trying harder, by being better, by pulling up your bootstraps. No, what has to happen, we have to die to ourselves and be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So arm yourselves, like a, put on that whole armor of God. In the midst of persecution, again, fight the good fight. Arm yourself. It says, with the same mind, with the mind of Christ, with the knowledge that suffering is coming, but not being moved by it. How long did, how long did Jesus know that he was going to die? Before the world was created. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He always knew and always has known. Amen? And yet he came anyway. And he knew he would be, he knew he would be rejected by most. And yet he came anyway. He could have put a stop to it anytime he wanted, but he never did. You know why? Because he loves you that much. That's our Savior. Amen? Amen. And we need to have that same heart, that same mind. Jesus came on a mission, and that was to seek and save those who were lost. And that's why we're here. The only thing that we're taking to heaven with us is people. Nothing else will matter. All this stuff, this wood, hay, and stubble, it's all chaff. It's all going to burn. It won't matter. On judgment day, no one's going to care how much you bench pressed, how much money you had in the 401k, or how many times you won salesman of the month, or anything else. All that stuff that we think is so important means absolutely nothing in light of eternity. We need to be that same mind. Recognizing that this temporary suffering is nothing compared with the glory which is to come. You know, I just I think of Matt. Winterstone, when I, I rewatched that interview last night, and I was so blown away by the humility and the, the other centeredness of this young man who went back into this place repeatedly and br- brought people out of borderline, risking his own life. And when they asked him on the news, it's being seen by millions, he said, Well, I know where I'm going. If I die, I'm not worried about me. Well, we could use an army of Christians like that. When we focus on other people, then I ran into him at, at uh, Best Buy where he worked se- several months after this happened. I, I said, Matt, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm proud of you, bro. I'm just proud of you. And he said, yeah, don't be proud of me. I didn't do anything. I just did what the Lord told me to do. Humble. Lord, we just need to just do what the Lord tells us to do. Amen? How many of you, like me, sometimes the Lord, you know the Lord's telling you to do stuff and you don't do it? Am I the only one? Share your faith. Walk away. And the exhortation is be of the same mind of Christ. Jesus Christ came around a mission. His mission was to restore you back to the Father. And he was willing to endure whatever suffering it took to redeem you and to redeem me. And if we're his followers, we should be of the same mind. It's not about us. It's about him. Not about my comfort. It's about his glory. It's about bringing other people to Jesus. Amen? We should be willing to lay it on our lives if necessary. Armed with that type of dis- disciplined thinking, remaining faithful to the will of God even unto death. Again, they can't threaten us with heaven. If we truly believe what the word of God says about heaven, how amazing heaven is going to be, then we should be longing for it, not fearful of it. 
Amen? Now, we, have to, we either get to be here and serve the Lord and walk in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit and be used mightily by God and praise his name and bring glory and honor to him, or we die and we get to be in heaven, which is even better. We're the most blessed of all people. Amen? And this is why you shouldn't look like you've been sucking on lemons. This is why we shouldn't be complaining and murmuring. Amen? As believers, going to heaven. That's, my, that's almost my always response. People say, how you doing? Going to heaven. Going to heaven. Tell my customers that. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're going. Uh, when are you going? I don't know, but soon and very soon. Amen? God is good. Notice what it says here. For he suffered. For who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Those who are being persecuted for righteousness sake, those who have not only turned from sin, but are making a stand against it. Not only do we turn from it, but we make a, take a stand against it. It's wrong. Here's the other thing that's trying to happen right now. The world is trying to silence the gospel. And they're trying to change it. And make the focus that it's all about you. And you tell God what he wants. And you proclaim it. And God has to give it to you. By the way, we don't tell God anything. We come humbly and broken crying out to him. We don't instruct God. He instructs us. We're all idiots compared to God. Amen? I don't even think we qualify as idiots compared to God. We're not even up at that level. So why would we, God, you need to, I'm telling you, and God, I command that you, no. Lord, help. Amen? Lord, I come humble and broken before you. I need your help. Lord, I, I can't, I, I'm struggling. Help me. Help me to walk in obedience. Help me to walk by faith. Lord, help my unbelief if you have unbelief. Lord, help me. He suffered for us. Mark of a changed life is where we were once willing to enter into sin, into sinful behavior, Fulfilling our fleshly desires, we're now willing to suffer as we take a stand against that very same sin. Quit making excuses for sin. I'm tired of the world making everybody who's a sinner a victim of something. Amen? Well, I, I, you know, I, 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 it's not an affair. I'm just a sexual addict. I have no control over it. Shut up. Amen? Everybody wants to point. When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And too often it was her fault, it's his fault. Well, he did it. Well, she did it. Make excuses, accuse somebody else, or go, Lord, you're right, and get on your knees and ask for forgiveness. Amen? And be called to live a holy and a set-apart life. Let's be willing to stand against evil, to stand for the truth, to be unashamed of the gospel, to love the Lord. Thank you for those who prayed for me Thursday. I did a funeral, and I've been now for another young man who had died, and I was connected by Tony, who used to be the head of the school here, and I was introduced to this family, and I went on, on this, they had a burial at sea. It was three hours out, an hour out there, and three hours back. And when I got on the boat, I realized that about 80% of the people on the boat were Mormons. And I'm going to be sharing the message. Divine appointments. Amen. No suffering is wasted. If my son doesn't die, I'm not on that boat. They wanted me to come because he knew I had dealt with the same thing they were dealing with, which then opened an opportunity for the gospel. No suffering is wasted. Amen. God is sovereign. We can trust him. 
So point number one, having the mind of Christ and eternal perspective, having the knowledge that suffering is coming, but not being moved by it, recognizing that temporary suffering is nothing compared to the glory which is to come. One of the things I said that day, now the, the good news is that the young man who died had a relationship with the Lord. He had struggled, and so did his parents. And I said, you know, because our Savior died, you're going to see your son again. Because he sent his son to die. We get to, I get to see my son again. See, as Christians, we have a different view of everything. Amen? So praise the Lord for his grace. Point number two. It's time to live like a Christian. Stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. He says that no longer should he live the rest of the time, the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Verse three, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, that's unbelievers of the world there, when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. So he says, look, this is who we were, and we spent enough time doing that, and now we've given our life to the Lord, and we don't need to be doing that anymore. And by the way, when you do that, how does that work out? When's the last time someone said, I went on, got drunk last night, and made a bunch of great decisions? <laughs> Amen. I went out and partied and fed my flesh all night, and boy, that worked out great. Marriages are destroyed. Lives are destroyed. People sitting in prison and in jail because of feeding the flesh, and the flesh will never be satisfied. The enemy lies to you. Feed the flesh. We've invested enough of our lives in the world. We've spent enough time living for the world, enough to know that it's empty and fruitless. You live for the world and one day you wake up, maybe this is your testimony, you realize, wow, that's not working out. This is a train wreck. I've been going in this direction and you know what? I got the promotion at work and I'm still not satisfied. I went and did this and I'm sleeping around, I'm doing drugs, I'm drinking, whatever that thing is that you're doing. I'm now well known, I'm famous, I got a million followers on TikTok or whatever. And now you think this is gonna be the thing that's gonna change it all and guess what? You get there and it doesn't do it. Because God created us all with a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. Sex won't fill it, drugs won't fill it, money won't fill it, fame won't fill it, comfort won't fill it. The things of this world won't fill it. Only Jesus Christ can. And you know what? He wants to, but you have to let him in. Amen? And once he's there, you're not going to look at sin the same way. Will we still sin? What's the answer? Yeah. Yes. But we view it differently when we sin, don't we? Before you knew the Lord, you would run to sin and talk about it and brag about it and, and want to do it again next weekend. And when you come to know the Lord and when you sin, you're grieved by it. Your heart broken over it and you're seeking God's forgiveness for it. Amen? Because now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and there can be no peace Peter realized we all spend enough time living like the world. Now we're called to live like Christians. And again, it's a profound and foolish waste of time for Christians to live like the world. We must simply stop being double-minded and start living like Christians. I know I'm so mamby-pamby about stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, the, if, if you want mamby-pamby, wrong place, I'm thinking. Because here's the reality. We need to stop it. 
Amen? We've, we've wasted enough time chasing after stuff which is perishing. Now look, be the best worker in the building. Provide for your family. Those are godly things. Raise godly children. Do those, right, those things. Be, be an impact on the world around you. But don't be seeking and making the priority of your life chasing after things that are all going to burn. Amen? It's all going to pass away. Fleshly lust, an unsatisfied and worldly attempt at fulfillment, true fulfillment, again, only can be satisfied in Christ. Don't invest another day or another moment in the life you once lived. No offense. I'm going to just, okay, let's just shoot straight. Because I've had family members go through stuff and I've had to go to like Al-Anon meetings and stuff. And if that's helped you, God bless you. But, you know, everybody sits around and talks about when they used to get drunk. And I'm trying to figure out how that helps anybody. Well, I remember when I used to drink. When I remember, keep coming back, it works. Guess what? We don't need a 12-step program. We need a one-step program. Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen. And there's about five 12-steppers that are mad at me right now. But I love you. I love you. And you know what? God can use that. I'm not saying God doesn't use it, but he can use a car accident too. I don't recommend either one, really. Amen? But look, whatever it takes to, to get us back to the Lord, I'm okay with that. But guys, let's not revel in what we once were and brag about it. Bragging about your old sinful behavior. It should nauseate you, not something that you sit with all your buddies and reminisce. I remember when I used to sleep around. No, you should be grieved by that. Amen? Then he goes into a list of it down here. And let's describe what these things are. If we spend enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, again, the world, when we walked in lewdness, lewdness is one who walks in sexual immorality and is proud of it. Are there any parades that take place where that might come to mind right there? <laughs> People that walk in open rebellion against God and are proud of it. Our, our, our schools have gay pride month. You've got to be kidding me. Where, where's, the, uh, where's the marriage pride month? Where's the honoring God pride month? You know where it is? It's at this school. Amen. Amen. So the sadness is that there's this lewdness and, and people accept it. And if you say that lewdness is lewd, you're a bigot. You're homophobic. I'm not afraid of homosexuals. I pray for them. Amen? You're, you're, fear, you're this, you're that. And they put labels on, they attack you. And they want, guys, let's just stand for the Lord. Do it in love. Don't be self-righteous. One beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But lewdness is when you walk in sin and you're proud of it. Boy, that must not be named amongst believers. Amen? Well, Pastor Dave, you don't understand. This is my pastor. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, I think God's okay with it. No, he's not. This is why we're not moved by feelings. We're moved by faith. And we don't trust in what our emotions. We trust what the word of God says. Amen? Getting quiet in here. Notice the next thing he says, along with lewdness, lust. There's a strong desire against sexual immorality, the sin of, of, uh, of the Gentiles, the sins of the world, and it, it's, it's got into the church. It's got into the church. People get upset with me when I do it, but I'll meet a couple that's, that's dating, that's going to church, I guess, and I'll just say it straight up, oh yeah, you guys are dating, you guys remain sexually pure? Uh, uh, uh. Well, that's kind of a personal question, and, I'll, and you come back next week, I'll ask you again, can I get an amen to that? Somebody 
needs to not be ashamed to make a stand for the truth of God's word. And if they're struggling with it, tell me the truth. That's okay. But let's do this. You know, I've had people, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we've been dating for six, we're living together. You need to move out. Until you get married, move out. Whoa, what's cheaper? Obeying God is better. Amen? But sadly, we live in a time, even in the church. Now, now we're going to get into people's kitchen. Drunkenness. It's linked closely to lewdness and lust. Have you ever noticed how those are all kind of together? You get drunk, what do you end up doing? Sleeping with somebody. I had a friend who said a tenant in a bar is a four and a six pack. <laughs> Drinking alcohol till you're, you're, there's no more encumbrance. And now, again, you're making foolish decisions and you wake up the next morning next to somebody you just met. That's lewdness and drunkenness go hand in hand. Amen? That's why we be not, you know, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need spirits, we have the Spirit. Amen? But this is, so you see this list, because these are things that are common in the world. Go out and get drunk, go out and meet people, sleep around, let your flesh be satisfied, be proud of your sexual conquest. I've slept with this many women, and they're proud of it. I've, no, it's shameful. Studies showing that rape, adultery, fornication, sexually transmitted diseases, and unwanted pregnancies are often related to drunkenness. Why would we want to be under the influence of anyone or anything other than the Holy Spirit? Amen? Well, yeah, what do you Christians do for fun if you don't do any of that? <laughs> what do you do for fun? Then it says revelries and drinking parties. And revelries is riotous carousing. Drinking parties, drunken parades through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other pagan deity, often gods and goddesses of sex. Mardi Gras. Everybody get lit. Let's go on a parade and, and cuss and scream and take off our clothes in front of all the, because we're drunk. Lord help. Unbridled lust and fleshly passion with no convictions. Idols, anything we make more important than God. It says idolatry is there. Anything in your life you make, you might say, well, I don't drink and I don't, I don't go on parades taking my clothes off. I'm okay. Well, we have other things that we make more important than God. You can make your career more important than God. Do the best job at work. Genesis 3 says the man will toil by the sweat of his brow the days of his life, and he should. But it shouldn't be more important than God. You know one of the biggest reasons why people say they miss church? Well, I have to work. Uh, every job interview I've ever been on, I told them I don't work on Sunday. And guess what? I've always had a job. Will God honor that? Again, if there's an occasion we have to go, I get it. But guys, we need to make God a priority. You don't give God the rest, you give God the best. You don't give them the rest of your time, what's left over. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you spend your time will be a reflection of what really is the priority and the passion of your life. When I played football in college, they'd always have these parties. I went to very, very, very few. And I remember that one time, you know, we won a state championship, so you gotta come. So I walk into this room and everybody's standing around with wet red cups 
in a room that should have 20 people in it with 150 people, and they're all standing next to each other just drinking alcohol and acting like idiots. And fortunately for them, there were no cell phones in those days. But I thought, how is this? I don't understand. I don't get it. I just don't get it. And I left. I said, you guys are, you know, I don't understand. And guys, that's not where Christians should be hanging out. Amen? We're called to be salt and light. And again, I've had people say, what do you guys do for fun? You just like sit around and like study your Bible? I'm like, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, while you're over here drinking something that tastes horrible and acting like an idiot, I'm reading a love letter from the creator of the universe to me on how to live a joyful life, how to have a wonderful marriage, how to raise godly kids, and how to live a life that will impact eternity. All day long, I choose that over that. Amen? Amen. Enough's enough. Then he says, point number three, live every day in light of the judgment that is to come. Look at verse four. In regard to these... They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Again, when you get saved and God is doing a work in you and your desires change and you've had enough of the world's perversion, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're grieved, even repulsed by the behavior you once lived in before you came to know Christ. It's been enough and there's no desire to participate. And it says there, they think it strange. Dude, you're strange, man. You're strange. Your old drinking buddies, your friends you partied and caroused with can't understand that you're no longer interested. You know, I used to tell youth group kids, they're like, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I gave my life to the Lord and I don't know who to be friends with. I said, you won't have to worry about it. You live sold out for the Lord. The people around you will either get saved or they will leave because they don't want to be around you anymore. You're a buzzkill, man. I hope so. I hope so. In high school, they called me straight edge. Dude, you're so straight edge, man. I'm like, I'll take that as a compliment. I used to tell on the guys smoking weed off campus. I'd go up to the VP, I'd go, you got about 10 guys down there smoking weed right now. He'd go down there, they'd get busted. they go, who told? Right here. One of the reasons I kept lifting weights because I knew I might have to (laughs) defend myself. They'll speak evil of you. They'll mock you. They'll attack your faith. What's wrong with you, bro? Don't you want to have any fun? I hadn't thought about sharing this. I remember when I was early on with my company. I've been in the same company. It'll be 34 years in May. And I was in the back of a van, and I fell asleep. We were coming back from a... We had a, a meeting in San Diego, and we spent the night two nights, and we came back, and we were... Um, there was about eight of us in this van and I had fallen asleep and I kind of wake up and all seven of the guys were all talking about how they're all cheating on their wives. And they're all like comparing notes and I've even got an apartment and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I woke up and, I'm, and they thought I was asleep in the back and I'm just sitting there listening to all this. And after about 10 minutes of them rambling, I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really glad I know all of your wives and I'll be seeing them soon because I'm going to tell You never saw seven more panicked grown men in your life. And then I started asking him, does your wife sleep around? How dare you say that? Oh. 
But guys, this is the world we live in, amen? And let's, sometimes we've got to turn that halogen light on. Now look, let's be kind, let's be loving, let's be gracious, but let's be bold, amen? He's exhorting them, quit acting like the world. Yeah, the world's afraid, you don't need to be. Yeah, the world's panicking, you don't need to be. God's in control. God's faithful. We don't need the spirits, we have the spirit. To the world, you're a weird one. I told you this, a lady once came up to me and said, you're just a Jesus freak. I went, yeah. Who better to be a freak for? Amen? Let's love God, be unashamed of it. Notice what it says here. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That him there is Jesus. You walk with God, you'll be judged by the world. If you walk with the world, you'll be judged by God. Amen? Would you rather live a life where the world thinks you're strange and you stand before the Lord on judgment day and he says, enter in my good and faithful servant, or would you rather live in a way that the world thinks you're amazing and cool and they want to pattern their life after you and they praise you and then stand before Almighty God on judgment day and hear, depart from me for I never knew you. Amen? Lord, help us. It's a spiritual battle that we fight every day. And let me make it clear. I'm not... It's not, a, it's not a workspace salvation. Don't lose sight of this. I'm not saying that, you know, hey, we're, we're all going to be, per- if you're not perfect, you're not getting in. Well, none of us is perfect, and we're only going to get in because he is. Amen? But it should be, we should be different. When the world's panicking, we should not be. Amen? People are scared to death. We have nothing to fear. They'll give an account. When God changes a life, It shows all involved, they don't have to live that way, and that they can be delivered. It becomes a source of conviction and personal accountability. You know, there's a reason why some people don't like hanging out with believers, because when you walk into the room, the Holy Spirit just showed up. Amen? And they love it when Christians fall, don't they? When Christians fall, they're the first ones. And, you know, any pastor falls, I, I hear about it at work, I promise you. Oh, your buddy fell. Well, first of all, I don't even know him. And I'm sad that that happened. But why does that make you so happy? But the world wants to see you fall. And see, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And people watch us most closely when we're going through great difficulties and trials. Amen? I've been on the same sales team for over, almost two years. I've never met anybody on my sales team because it's all over Zoom now. And people are still panicking. Well, I won't even go outside. I think I'm going to wear a mask the rest of my life. Well, God bless you. Go right ahead. Dave, you go see customers every single day. How in the world do you do that? I get in my car. I put on a suit. I drive out and I see people. (laughs) Aren't you afraid? Not one bit. Amen? I don't panic. Why? Because my best friend created the universe and he's got my back. Can I get an amen to that? God is faithful. Light exposes darkness. Some bright, again, bright light, most uh, want to extinguish the light. Just be quiet. Keep it to yourself. And they, they want to shout you down and insult you, so you stop talking about the Lord. Don't fall into that trap. Amen? We don't need to argue. Just keep presenting the truth and do it in love. Soft answer will turn away wrath. 
Be kind, be loving, be gracious, but be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think the apostle Paul would speak up? John the Baptist? You know, they all have the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, that was his message. Peter, his message. Paul, his message. Jesus. So when you share with people, boy, you need to repent. You need to get right with God. You're in good company. Amen? Guess what all those also have in common? They were all persecuted. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, but so they did the prophets who went before you. Don't be a jerk. Be kind, be loving, be gracious, but preach the truth in love. Look at what it says in verse 6. And then we know that he's going to judge between the living and the dead. Do you know that everybody in this planet is either alive or dead? And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. See, if you don't know the Lord, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's why when you share the, your faith with people, there's scales over their eyes and they don't understand something, right? Think about yourself if you read the Bible before you were saved and then you read it after you were saved, how, how it was different. And so the exhortation here is, look, he's going to judge between those who are alive and those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Are you alive in Christ? Have you been born again? You know why you need to be born again? Because you were spiritually dead. You were born physically, and now you need to be born from above. You need to be born spiritually. We must be born again. He says, for this reason, the gospel, verse 6, was preached to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Those who are dead. Now, this could be confusing, and some people will say that, oh, we, we need to, people, there's, there's a whole group of people that baptize for dead people. That's, it's not biblical. There's no purgatory. We talked about this last week. There's no, there's no second chances. What he's talking about here is those persecuted unto death. Once, once you have died, there's no second chance for salvation. It's settled at the moment you take your last breath. Now, it's not settled until you take your last breath. Let today be the day of salvation if it hasn't been settled for you. Amen. So as long as you're living and breathing, you still have an opportunity to repent. But there's a day coming when you won't. Lives in the flesh are taken, but they live on in the spirit. Those who had been martyred for the cause of Christ, that died for the cause of Christ, are now alive in the presence of Almighty God. And you know what? None of them want to come back here. And they're all thankful that they are. Where are you going to spend eternity? The best retirement plan is heaven. It's a great encouragement. Who's he talking to? persecuted Christians that could die. People that could, look, could step out the next day, share their faith, and be drug away and thrown in prison. And what is he encouraging them? Look, he's letting them know the gospel was preached. Also, those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men of the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. We were once spiritually dead. We came to hear the gospel of Christ. Now we're dead to the person we used to be, and now we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's why when you give your life to Jesus, everything ought to change. That old Stephen Curtis Chapman song, what about the change? What about the difference? You know, it's not just, I, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, and I got some Christian stickers on my car, and I own a Bible. Again, those are fine, but that in and of itself, there's no change. If, there's, if you're a new creation in Christ, again, you were spiritually dead, now you're alive. That ought to be a radical transformation. 
Is there a difference between a corpse and a living person? You can pick them out pretty quickly. Amen? The same should be true spiritually. It should be really evident of who we are in Christ. No life gone for, for so far gone that can't be changed by the Lord. God's far greater than any evil that can lay a hold of any man or woman. Aren't you glad that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more? I've done prison ministry off and on for 15 years, and, and I'd have guys in prison out in Lancaster or here in Oxnard or in Camarillo, and they would say, well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I said, well, God does, and he can forgive you. He paid for all of it. on the, how, how, how many sins did Christ pay for on the cross? What's the answer? All of them. By the, by the way, if you're Reformed theology, that, that you just took a, a shot in the kneecap there. He didn't die for some, he died for all. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Guys, we have the greatest message in the world. The world needs to hear it, and the enemy wants you to keep it to yourself. I want to encourage you. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for your neighbors by name. I haven't done this where I live now, but in my old neighborhood in Lancaster, I used to walk with my kids around the block, and I would stop at each mailbox and pray for the people in that house and an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And it was amazing how many of those prayers got answers. Amen? I want to encourage you. Point number four, to be a person of prayer. Look at verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. This is a reference to the nearness of Christ's return for his bride. The early church and virtually all of the New Testament writers expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. Now, people mock that. Well, see, Paul thought he was coming, and he didn't, and then so-and-so. See, they're all... No, they all lived in anticipation that he could come any day. And you know what it did? It gave them a sense of urgency to live for the Lord, something you will never regret. If you live every day in light of the fact that he could come tomorrow, you'll never regret it. But if you live every day like he, you don't think he'll come for 100 years, you will live to regret it. Amen? You know what urgency does? It makes you want to witness today. You know what urgency does? It makes you want to get on your knees and pray today. We know what urgency does. It, want, it makes you want to get out of your comfort zone and start using the gifts God's given you today. Not six months from now. Not when everything works out perfectly. Not when all the roadblocks are removed. Lord, I want to be about it for the kingdom of God today. Because none of us have the promise of tomorrow. Again, such expectation created a sense of urgency to fulfill the Great Commission to reach the lost. Something that happened to me years ago when I was working in Seattle, I had a coworker who, who I had witnessed to a lot. We'd go on sales calls together. His name was Curtis Pitts. I'm never going to forget this. We talked about the Lord a lot. And then finally he said, you know what, Dave, let's get lunch tomorrow. And I want you to just, let's take a long lunch and we'll take as long as it takes. And I want you to explain what it means to be a Christian and how to be, I want to, I just, and I have questions. I'm going to bring my questions and we'll have this discussion. I said, Absolutely. That was at 10 o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the afternoon, he got a car accident and died. I never had that conversation with him. Guess what? I'm not waiting for tomorrow to have any more of those conversations. I trust in the sovereignty of God. But I'll tell you what, every time someone says, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a month, I think of Curtis Pitt. No, we'll talk about it right now. Amen? We'll never regret stepping out for the Lord now. We will regret if we're waiting 
Such urgency. By the way, let me just say this. Don't raise your hand. How many of you know that God has a calling and a gifting upon your life and you've been waiting to step out in faith for any length of time? Can I encourage you? Make it today. Don't wait anymore because you may wake up and it'll be too late. Such urgency and expectation helps us to live lives with an eternal perspective. Paul wrote these words to the early Christian church in Rome. And do this knowing the time that now is a high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The exhortation again, exhortation again is to live lives of holiness in anticipation that Jesus could come back at any moment. You have moments when you really don't want the Lord to come back? You're doing something going, I hope it doesn't come back right now. Amen? I need to get right with God before he comes back. Man's history of rebellion will one day be brought to an end. And Jesus will rapture the church and the great tribulation of God's righteous judgment will begin. And at the end of which he will return, we will return with him and rule and reign with him upon the earth for a thousand years. Who's looking forward to that? I mean, no more, no more politicians. <laughs> Can't vote God out of office. He's going to have a thousand-year term on earth, and then, a, and then one for eternity afterward. Amen? But we need, to, we need to live holy, preach boldly, love unconditionally, because time is short. Amen? Knowing that time is coming soon. Therefore, be serious. Notice what he says there. Because the time is running short, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Can I encourage you? We've all done it. Sometimes we're distracted when we're praying. Am I the only one? You got the TVs on, this is happening over here, someone's talking behind. And, and again, it's a, pray anywhere and everywhere, but we need to have undistracted prayer. You get into a place, prayer closet, go somewhere where no, there's no distraction, I'll tell you, a great place I love to pray is in my car. When I've, I've driven to a sales call, I'm going to my next appointment. I get there 20 minutes early. I go park under a tree and hang out with the Lord until my appointment. It's just an opportunity. It's quiet. No distractions. I love to pray by my, the side of my bed. It's just a place where it's quiet, where I can call out to the Lord. There's no distractions. See, guys, if God came to your house, would you have people interrupting if Jesus, if you're having dinner with Jesus, I'd lock the door and the rest of you got to stay out till he leaves. Amen? And yeah, we do that in our prayer life. We're talking to the Lord and, 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 and then we're, and we're thinking about other stuff. Lord's like, I'm right here. Can we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation? The Lord loves you. One of the words for, for him is Abba. Abba means daddy. He loves it when you crawl into his lap and you share your heart with him and you're focused on nothing else. Guys, he deserves it. And you know what? It's a blessing when we do it. Amen? So we need with that urgency to have that heart for prayer. We might not get to the end, so don't panic. Number five, to have a fervent love one for another. Look at verses eight and nine. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I love this. Above all things, in front of, before uh, everything else, love. When you have to have a difficult conversation, when you have when, love, if, if every, everything should be done in love, 
Amen? When I do counseling, when I raise my kids, when I would discipline my kids, I'd look at them and do you know that daddy loves you? Yeah, dad, I know you love me. And I, you know, your dad would die for you. Do you believe that? Yeah, daddy would die for you. Well, because I love you, you're getting a swat. Because you did this, and I love you, and I want you to learn not to do that. Amen? If you know that, does the Lord love us? What's the answer? So when he disciplines us, we need to praise him for it. Lord, thank you for loving me enough to give me the Holy Spirit head slap when I need it. Amen? To, dr- to drive us back into a relationship. The word fervent there means without ceasing. To be stretched out, to strain An athlete that is straining with all he has to break through the tape at the finish line. Give love your all. The word love there, what do you think it is in Greek? Give you one guess. What is it? It's agape. Agape is a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. It's a love that doesn't need a reason. It's a love that never changes. And it's a love that never gives up. That's what agape love is. The world's lust is... Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's phileo and then there's eros. Eros is erotic love and it's where I will do for you as long as you give to me. It's a self-centered feeling as opposed to a selfless one. God has called us to selflessly love others. That's why I went, and please, again, I'm gonna step on some toes, but if you are married to a believer and you get divorced, someone's in rebellion, if not both of you. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a decision. Amen? It's a decision. You know what, too? I found this to be true. When you choose to love somebody, the feelings follow. Amen? Well, we just fell out of love. No, you just entered into rebellion against Almighty God is what you did. Oh, I didn't want to come to you for counseling. Well, there you go. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Well, you know, she burnt the toast and she doesn't praise me as much. And uh, Guess what? You married her to serve her, not for her to praise you. So get over it. Can you still serve her? Get to it. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not going to that guy for counseling. That's what I but Is Pastor Joshua available? He'll bring a bigger stick than I've got. <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment above all is to love. Loving someone outside yourself more than yourself, again, it's unconditional. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Notice he says there, it will cover a multitude of sins. See, when you find a brother sinning, your heart should be to restore them. Bro, I'm so sorry. Oh, man, let me pray for you. Let me minister to you. You know what? We want to see them restored, not destroyed. Amen? Even when there's church discipline, it, it's, it says to deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. We don't want to destroy them. We want to restore them. And so what do you do if you're a believer and someone shares with you a struggle they have, you pray with them, you pray for them, you spend time in the word with them, you love on them, you don't go tell everybody else about them. It says love covers a multitude of sins. This is a sin that's in the church that people disguise as prayer requests. Well, you know, you should pray for Pastor Dave because, you know, he told me that he's struggling with us and we need to pray for him. Let's put it, let's, let's call everyone in the church to pray. Guys, that's called gossip. Amen? Don't, just, don't, don't try to spiritualize your gossip. 
Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. The word there to cover is to hide, to veil, to hinder the knowledge of the thing. Aren't you glad that that's what the Lord does for us? He removes it. He blots it out. Love abounds in the Christian fellowship. Again, small and even large offenses are overlooked and forgotten. The enemy wants to stir up strife and division within the body of Christ. I have people that will tell me, I went to church and 17 years ago, somebody did this to me at church and I've never gone back because that person, the enemy just won. I don't really like going to church because there's, you know, there's a lot of hypocrites there. I'd rather go to church with some hypocrites and spend eternity in hell with all of them. <laughs> Amen. If you go into a church, if you find a church full of perfect people, first of all, there isn't one. And if there was, when you got there, you'd ruin it. Amen? Let's at least finish up this point. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another. What's the last two words there? Everybody say it out loud. Without what? Yeah, okay. Well, the Lord wants me to help these people, but man, how long is it going to (laughs) take? You know what I mean? We need to be cheerful in our service to others. Amen? Amen? The word hospitable there, be hospitable. Due to current state of persecution at the hands of Caesar Nero, here's what was happening. There were no Motel 6s. So what happened is you'd have Christians that were chased out of their town, and when they came into this new place, other Christians would have to bring them into their house and lodge them and provide for them and care for them. And they said, you know, be hospitable in the midst of persecution, People are hurting. You minister to them. You love on them. And don't do it. And do it with the right attitude. If someone's going to give and be bummed that they gave, I'd rather they keep it. Amen? Well, I hope you out, man. I'm not happy about that. Don't help me then. We shouldn't be grumbling. By the way, that's God's house you're living in, not yours. And you're driving God's car, and that's God's money in your bank account, and I'm wearing God's clothes, and it's all God's. Amen? And if we know that, we're thankful that he allows us to use his stuff, and we want to use it for his glory, not our comfort. Amen? Help us. No grumbling. Complaining is not for Christians. We have nothing to complain about. Our resources are God's resources. We should not only give or open our homes, but be actively looking for those who can use God's resources, that we can use God's resources to minister to. And again, without grumbling, to live like a Christian is not only to do what, not only what to do, but the heart and the attitude with which it's done. The word grumbling there means murmuring, muttering, or a secret debate or displeasure. God loves a cheerful giver. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we, we have not and we will not ever pass an offering here. You know why? I don't want you tipping God. You know what that means? The offering's coming by. I'll look like a heathen. I better put something in there. We don't want that. God loves a cheerful giver, someone who purposes beforehand. So we have an agape box in the back. You know what? We've never taken an offering. We never did in Santa Cruz when I was there for 10 years. And you know what? God always provides. Amen? Because when God moves on your heart, giving is an act of worship. It's a get-to, not a have-to. Amen? And God will always provide. God loves a cheerful giver. Wrong attitude can turn an act of hospitality, an act that should produce joy and blessing into a source of contention. You know, I helped that guy at church, man, you know, and I helped him out and I gave him some money. And, you know, he never paid me back. He never said thank you. That's, if you're doing it, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Stop. Amen? Amen. People need 
just be loved unconditionally. Everybody had somebody give you something and then grumble about it. The answer is always here, just take it back, I don't want it. If we live like Christians, it must be reflected in not only our actions, but our attitudes. Guys, it's time to live like Christians, amen? amen. Point number one, by having the mind of Christ, having the knowledge that suffering is coming, but not being moved by it. Number two, to stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. It is a profound and foolish waste of time for Christians to live like the world. We should stop. We should be radically different. We shouldn't be entertained by the very sins Christ died for. Amen? We shouldn't be caught up in the very things that the Lord came to suffer and die for. Watch what you're entertained by. Live every day in light of the judgment to come. Again, walk with God and you'll be judged by the world. Walk with the world, you'll be judged by God. Be a person of prayer. Who needs to pray more besides me? Okay? Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Begin your day in prayer. Spend your day in prayer. End your day in prayer. We, guys, the veil was torn so we can talk to Almighty God anywhere and any time. We need to take advantage of that. Amen? Yeah. And then finally, we'll, get, we'll do point number six next week. Uh, have a fervent love for one another. I say this every week, but I'll say it again. And I mean this before Almighty God. I love you guys so much it hurts. I just love you guys so much. I'm so blessed to be able to serve you. I count it an absolute privilege. There's nowhere in the world I'd rather be than right here, right now with you because I love you. And it's a supernatural love that God gives us for those that we have the privilege of serving. Amen? And we should fervently love one another and not just say it in our words, but how to be seen in our actions and in our attitudes. This is why I'm the hugging pastor because you know what? When you love people, you hug them. Amen? If Jesus were here, he'd give you a hug too. So, I want to encourage all of us. We're living, in a, we're living in a time when the world is a mess. But you know what? Our lives aren't because we have Jesus. And people need the Lord. They're looking for answers in drugs and alcohol and sex and career and fame and money and followers and everything else the world has to offer. And we have the answer. It's the most selfish thing in the world to keep it to ourselves. We have, that, we have the antidote to the, to, to the pandemic of sin, and it's called Jesus Christ shed blood upon the cross of Calvary. And the good news is we can share it with everyone. May we not keep it to ourselves. Amen? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. You know, Lord, help us to live faithfully as followers of yours. Lord, we know that we'll never be sinless, but we should sin less. And Lord, help us to walk in faithful obedience. We can't do this without you. Lord, we come humble and broken before you. We cry out to you, Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to put on the whole armor of God. Help us to live in a way that the love of Christ is so evident it draws unbelievers to you. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning, whatever they may be going through in life, whatever that struggle is, whatever that trial is, Lord, they would surrender it all to you this morning. I pray for those that have been sitting on their hands as Christians for many years and just not gotten out of their comfort zone, that, Lord, you'd stir them up. Not because we need them to do something, but it's a joy and a blessing to serve you. And I, my heart breaks for those who are missing out on that. Lord, I continue to pray for those who are grieving, whatever they may be grieving over. And there's someone who here just recently lost her dad, and I pray you're 
for Lisa, your comfort upon her. I know that there are many others here, and I continue to pray for, for Craig and for Laurel. Just comfort them this morning. Lord, we need you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said,